Welcome to Perspectives on Perseverance with Dr. Mark Ballard, President of Northeastern Baptist College in Bennington, Vermont. At NEBC, we are committed to developing the mind of a scholar, the heart of a shepherd, and the perseverance of a soldier. This podcast seeks to provide biblical, historical, and contemporary perspectives on perseverance that will help you persevere in your walk with the Lord and in your service to Him, to His people, and His creation. This is episode 16. Join me as we have another Lion's Den where we talk about perseverance in ministry or in whatever questions you may have sent in to President Ballard. How are you today, President Ballard? I'm doing great. Good. I'm glad to hear it. Well, we've got a, a great bunch of questions here for you in regard to perseverance. And uh, Oh, that's right. It is Lion's Den today, isn't it? Yeah, you know, sometimes it just sneaks up on us. It's it's almost yeah. like a hunting lion. <laughs> well, a guy ought to be warned when he's going to be thrown into the lion's den, so that's all right. Well, I, I know you're good for it. Um, I do want to recommend to our listeners, uh, we are always happy to have you on the podcast. I do want to recommend to our listeners, uh, before we get started with this lion's den, to go back on our uh, on our website and find Dr. Ingalls, uh, or Dr. Alan Ingalls' sermon um, on grit. It's a great example of perseverance in, a, in an expositional form from the book of Second Timothy. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, just remember uh, for all of our listeners that we have a second podcast that is actually our chapel sermons from all of our chapel speakers. And uh, Dr. Ingalls uh, was this last Tuesday of last mm-hmm. week, right, if I remember correctly? Yes. Okay. That's correct. So check that out. It was a great sermon. It really was. So, President Ballard, let's get started with your questions, and uh, this one comes from a a young pastor in our area, and he asks, how do you motivate staff or volunteers who have become burnt out? (laughs) Uh, Well, uh, motivating people is is a big challenge, no doubt. Uh, You know, Joe, uh, I'll tell you what, um, what I have learned over the years if I can help people uh, to really focus on their personal relationship with God, uh, then that seems to take care of it, quite frankly. Um, really, uh, what happens when we get burnt out is our focus is more on us and our circumstances and what's going on around us than upon God. Uh, Jesus said that my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, that doesn't mean that everything is going to go smoothly, and sometimes we get that confused. But actually, what it means is is that Jesus is going to carry the weight. And so when I'm walking with him, when he is my first love, as, as we find in Revelation chapter 2, and I'm really focusing in on my walk with him, my time with him, uh, my prayer time with him, uh, my, my time in the Word, and just uh, being in contact with him throughout the day, and I'm letting the circumstances and all my responsibilities and uh, all the things that could go wrong, I'm rolling those over onto him. I'm casting my care upon him. Then he gives me the strength for the moment, and he carries the the weight of the burden, and um, that takes care of it. So let me give you a a couple of personal uh, expressions on that. I have found that uh, the smallest things can weigh a person down and uh, the smallest things can just throw me off and uh, become this heavy burden that makes me feel tired and burnt out and, and wore out and all that. At other times when I am walking closely with the Lord and I'm doing those things I was just talking about, I'm spending time with him, I'm rolling my burdens to him, I'm, 
I'm not taking responsibility that isn't mine. I'm, I'm letting God do what God does, and I'm just trying to be obedient and surrendered. Uh, when I'm doing that, I, I might have 20 times as much stress from the outside that is being poured upon me, but I'm, I'm at peace and free. And so sometimes it's the, it's the little gnats that uh, get you, and it's because you're, you're focused on them instead of on him. And so um, what I've learned is that if I just try to motivate people to uh, have a positive attitude, I'm probably not going to help them or myself. Uh, but if I, if I just really encourage people in their walk with the Lord, uh, teach them the principles of um, letting go and letting God, and teaching, teaching those principles, I know that's cliche, but uh, it's a true one. There's a reason it's cliche. And um, so if I can teach them to really rest in the Lord uh, and they begin to do that in their life on a consistent basis, then Christ lives through them and uh, they're able to, to face whatever comes their way and keep on going. You know, President Ballard, I, I really like what you said. I, I agree completely uh, that we need to require, or we need to keep our walk close with Jesus through these times. Thankfully, He sustains our walk. Uh-huh. Um, but I, I want to point out that sometimes the most spiritual thing we can do is is take a nap and have a good meal, just like Elijah did. Uh, but I dare not take away from the the purpose of that text is Elijah was with God when that uh-huh. happened, and uh-huh. we cannot ask our staff to find their rest and relaxation or we can't even find rest and relaxation ourselves apart from the work of God because Mm. burnout is a deeply spiritual issue it's Mm. not just a mental emotional issue Mm. no no doubt about it and and that reminds me of something that we've mentioned before like when when John Wesley uh, wrote to a friend and said I've become so busy that I have to spend three hours in prayer in the morning and and sometimes when we hear stuff like that we think well you know, that's just more stress, and that's just more things that would cause me to burn out. And uh, if, if you're doing it out of obligation, you're right. It, it will just cause you more burnout. But the fact of the matter is, is what that is a reflection of with him, uh, with Moody, with Spurgeon. They all said things like that. Uh, but the fact is, is what they learned is when they are with the Lord and they're resting with him, uh, that uh, it gives you wisdom, it gives you strength, it gives you perseverance through the day. And uh, I, you know, I love Elijah. In fact, I was reading uh, from Elijah's life this morning in my personal time. And uh, no doubt uh, he ran and uh, the Lord was with him even in his running when he was in fear. And the Lord took care of him and certainly did feed him and told him to sleep and then told him to eat and sleep some more. And sometimes uh, that is what we need to do. So... uh (laughs) I'm glad we can end on that note. I I really do hope uh, that those answers or that answer, uh, really it's a comprehensive answer, helps uh, with this pastor. Um, The next question goes from a a practical application to a theological question about perseverance. And uh, I've been looking forward to bringing this question to you. I think think we'll get to hear a lot more about you and your pers- uh, your perspective on this issue, um, but the- you mean you didn't warn me? You, you've I, been I def- looking forward to it. I definitely didn't it. warn you. It uh, sounds like a trap. <laughs> <laughs> well, Paul says, "Don't don't prepare an answer." You, just, you know, when you get brought. No, it's not Paul that, that says that. Jesus, but yeah, but that was Jesus. Go ahead. Anyway, <laughs> sometimes biblical professors get things wrong. Me more than others. Uh, so here's a question: Is it fair? I, to I've say, called Moses Noah and Noah Moses, so, uh, yeah, so don't feel true. bad. That's true. <laughs> um, 
Is it fair to say that on the cross, Jesus bought not only my salvation from God's wrath, but my perseverance or preservation in sanctification to glorification? That's a great question. Um, and the fact of the matter is, is that uh, when we talk about what Christ accomplished and when we talk about uh, salvation, we really are talking about three things. We're talking about uh, the moment that a person turns from their sin, trusts Christ, uh, we, we typically refer to that as I was saved, and uh, that's my salvation moment, and it is, um, but the, typically uh, in Scripture, you will see the term justification used most often to describe that moment, right. and that's when God justifies you and declares you legally, uh, he declares you as righteous. Uh, you have the righteousness of Christ. Um, and then we talk about sanctification, and occasionally sanctification is used interchangeably with justification, but most of the time in the New Testament, the word sanctification has to do with that process of becoming more and more like Christ. Mm -hmm. uh, and so it's a daily walk. Uh, it's... Um, him working in you and you working out what he has worked in you. Uh, and so that process uh, over time, if you're growing in your walk, you're becoming more and more like Jesus. And then ultimately, uh, it's glorification. And uh, that's when uh, Jesus returns and uh, we receive a glorified body that uh, cannot sin. So uh, one of my uh, mentors used to say that uh, I was saved and I'm being saved, and I will be saved. Um, and all of that uh, was purchased by the blood of Christ. So it is an absolutely crucial thing to understand that not only is my justification um, an act of God's grace that is enacted into my life only through faith, but so is my sanctification, and so is my glorification. So the fact of the matter is, is if you have turned from your sin and place your faith in the Lord Jesus, then you will ultimately persevere. Now, that doesn't mean that you will persevere day in and day out in everything that God intends for you, because we can obviously run from the Lord, and we have to confess our sin and uh, be faithful and just. But it does mean that ultimately you will persevere in the sense of one day you will be made like Christ. Now, Joe, there's warnings in Scripture about that. Uh, there's warnings that uh, we can actually, even as believers, commit a sin unto death. And uh, uh, Galatians warns of it, Corinthians warns of it. Uh, in other places, John uh, in his epistle said that he isn't telling us to pray for somebody who, is, who has crossed that line, though we don't really know when someone has crossed that line. But a person can, as a believer, come to a place where they have rebelled against God so long that he just takes them out, uh, but yet ultimately they have persevered in the sense that they will be saved and one day glorified because all of that has been purchased by Jesus. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. I was speaking with a friend recently about this question, um, not this question, but about this issue. And, you know, I think Romans eight twenty nine uh, gives me a lot of hope in that. It tells us, for whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. What oh. a promise in Scripture that those who believe will be conformed to the image of a son. And Paul says to the church at Philippi, I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will complete it. So absolutely, I think it's a great question. I think it brings great hope when you consider those 
those promises of Scripture. Well, Joe, I saw you opening your Bible to Romans 8, so I knew that was coming. And uh, it, it's great, and it, it's a great verse, and uh, it actually, you just explained it in the way it is intended in that text. And uh, the fact of the matter is, is that those who Christ foreknew, he did predestine uh, that they would be conformed to the image of his son, and that is about our sanctification. Mm. And we will be made like Christ. He who began a good work in us, as Philippians says, will complete the work. Um, and if we're willing partners, it's going to go a whole lot better. And what a day of rejoicing that will be when that painful process becomes that awesome product. Oh, that was poetic. You could preach that, man. <laughs> Preach it, brother. <laughs> All right, let's go. Well, thank you. Uh, so final question for the day. Um, you know, it's just so funny how these questions pan out. We have that really practical question. We have that theological question um, or that biblical question. Let's go to a theological question in, in relation to last week. Uh, this person asks, in light of last week's podcast, so they're listening, uh, on biblical inerrancy, what role does hermeneutics play in preserving our biblical inerrancy? And, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to piggyback on the back of this question. Um, I was introduced to several hermeneutic methods, not as good methods, but like trajectory hermeneutic, where you extrapolate what the text is actually getting at in the future, or mirror hermeneutic. Do those preserve inerrancy, or is there a specific type of hermeneutics that you would espouse that do preserve inerrancy? <laughs> uh, well... Um, I, I would say they, they, the two issues clearly relate, um, and in fact, uh, one of our future podcasts will talk a little bit more about, um, about hermeneutics as we talk about some of the things we started uh, a couple weeks ago. Uh, but what I would say, it's really the other way around. It's because of my uh, view of inerrancy that um, limits my view of hermeneutic. Uh, it's also, uh, there's other things, it's, it's the issue of truth, period, and uh, what is truth, and of course inerrancy relates to that topic. So if I really believe that truth um, can, is what conforms to reality, then, then that's going to lead me to be an inerrantist. Uh, if I'm an inerrantist and I really believe that that is God's word and he has inspired it, then I'm going to reject any hermeneutical approach that is reader centered mm. um, uh, that is trying to say well i'm gonna uh, i want to I want to read something into this text or I'm going to try to find uh something that is behind this text uh as maybe some of the uh historical critical approaches do that that, that we gotta try to discover something that uh is behind that there's really no evidence for, but we're gonna postulate that which really becomes um, the, the person reading the text. It becomes the authority in that, in that case. And your trajectory hermeneutic, um, depending on how they are approaching that and exactly what they're doing with that, many times that leads to someone reading something into the text that isn't there. Uh, sometimes they try to read the author's, uh, the human author's mind. And, uh, and I, Joe, I'm sitting right across from you, and I can't read your mind, so... Um, and folks, that says a lot because we've known each other a long time. We <laughs> think in similar patterns, but he's right. He doesn't know what I'm thinking about right now. <laughs> and, and that's probably a good thing. But probably. anyway, <laughs> anyway, uh, I certainly 
cannot read uh, Paul's mind or Daniel's mind or, or Moses's mind or, or someone like that. And so so what we really have is what is in the text. And so, yes, the, uh, the grammatical historical approach to interpretation is absolutely um, really the, um, the avenue that I would go. And we will talk more about that. And it's a few weeks away still. Um, in fact, several weeks away still, but uh, in the in the coming days as we're on this new tra- trajectory of our podcast, one of the uh, chapters of the book that I mentioned a couple weeks ago that I'm, we're working on uh, with some other authors is uh, actually about uh, the grammatical historical approach to interpretation. And, and if you... It, it doesn't necessarily preserve inerrancy, but it recognizes inerrancy. Yeah, that's would probably be the, better. the term that I would use for it. And because I'm an inerrantist, because I believe in uh, verbal plenary inspiration of Scripture, that it's infallible, it's inerrant, it's it's truth uh, without any mixture of error. And because of that, uh, that drives me to want to know what was the author's intent. And when I say the author's intent, I mean... I mean the human author who was being carried along by the Holy Spirit. What is what is the intent of the text? Awesome, awesome. Well, thank you, President Ballard. Uh, I think we had some great questions today. Uh, I hope the answers are beneficial to those listeners and uh, it adds to their understanding of God's word and God's nature. Um, this is a lion's den. So thank you so much for sending in questions, um, President Ballard. I will ask you: Do you have a closing thought for us? Oh, well, closing thought on a lion's den day, huh? Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> uh, well, guys, my closing thought is this. Uh, I want you to send in your questions. Uh, we do these every four weeks, and uh, the the questions you can send, you can send to Joe. He'll give you that uh, the way to do that in just a few minutes, and uh, he gets those and uh, saves those questions up. And uh, next time that we have a lion's den, we'd be happy to answer your question. Until then, I would tell you this, uh, you need to persevere, and we need the Church of Jesus Christ to persevere uh, in these days. And we know that ultimately uh, the the Church will persevere because uh, Christ said that the gates of hell will not prevail against it. But in our daily walk, and our particular church, the church that you're involved in, needs to persevere. And we'll continue talking about that next week. Well, amen. Thank you, President Ballard, for answering these questions. Uh, If you would like to send in your questions, you can send them to perspectivesonperseverance at nebcvt.org. We'd love to have your questions. We'd love to feature them in one of our lion's den, and uh, hopefully you'll find some benefit from that. Thank you again for joining us on Perspectives on Perseverance today. If you'd like to know more about Northeastern Baptist College, please visit us on the web at www.nebcvt.org. No matter what today may bring, persevere and have a great day in Jesus. From the heart of the Northeast, for the hearts of the world, we will persevere as soldiers to the right or left.